football in college, it was kind of tradition that the senior class would get away for a camping weekend right before fall camp started, just kind of like a final hoorah, enjoy each other before you go into your last uh, season with one another. And so uh, we did that. We went whitewater rafting uh, in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. And I'm not quite sure uh, about the science behind this or the biology, but when you get like 20, 15-year-old or 20, 20-year-olds together, uh, IQ points just start dropping really quickly. <laughs> and that was certainly the case for us. And so we get out uh, onto the rapids and a lot of fun's being had. Um, not a ton of clothing's being worn, which made it a light, uh, kind of awkward for the other families who were passing by our little rafting uh, convoy. Uh, but the memories were certainly had. And so the plan was after the last day that we'd go home in the following morning to get back and uh, start the season. Well, a friend of mine and myself, we had to be back in the morning, so we decided we'll just leave really late that night. So actually, it's about 1 o'clock in the morning, and me and a friend named Chubb decide to take off. Chubb looked exactly like you would imagine someone with a nickname Chubb to look like. He was 6'4", north of 300 pounds, big old lineman. Uh, didn't smell great after a day of rafting, uh, but here I am with Chubb in this tiny little car, leaving this campsite from the middle of nowhere. About a minute into my trip home, I realized this is a terrible idea because I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's no cell phone service. There's no GPS. It's totally dark. I don't know how to read a map. So the idea that I'm going to get home, but IQ points have fallen, so here we go. And so I leave the campsite, and I just start taking turns. Take a right turn take a left turn, take a right turn, assuming eventually I'll get to a highway. Well, two hours later, it's now three o'clock in the morning. I kid you not, I find myself in the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> Dirt road, one way. And like when I mean cornfield, I think like this is a road that tractors take to get from field to field. So it is just stalks of corn on my right, stalks of corn on my left. I'm one way on dirt, just crawling along. Uh, I eventually kind of crawl up to this red rusty gate. And I kid you not, there's on this gate a sign that's spray painted and says, no trespassing. Well, Chubb's next to me totally passed out. He's totally useless. And I finally think to myself, I might be lost. But I have nowhere to turn around because it's corn to my right, corn to my left, fence in front of me. I don't know what to do. And so I think, I guess I just have to reverse like half a mile to get back to whatever road I turn to get here. And so 3 o'clock in the morning, all by myself, pretty much, I do one of these things, and as soon as I turn around, two headlights blast on me. Like, how long has this guy been following me type thing? And so I've seen enough horror movies to know <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> like, you're never going to hear from me again. And it turns out it's the farmer. So naturally, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he sees me driving through his cornfield. Uh, he comes up, like I explain what's going on in the situation, he starts chuckling. And he says... Uh, son, the campsite you left is five miles down the road that way. <laughs> Two hours, wrong turns, cornfield, and I only made it five miles. <laughs> All right, here's the point. I ended up in a cornfield because I took wrong turns. Right? It wasn't external. This was internal. I was misguided, and before I knew it, uh, I had gotten so far off the highway, gotten so far off the road, I was completely lost. And this morning, we're going to listen to a letter, read a letter, study a letter 
about a church who likewise got lost. It wasn't external, it was internal. They took some wrong turns, and before they knew it, they were in a cornfield, and the whole message was compromised. So, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know we've been standing as the Word of God's been read over us. And so, if you would please stand with me. Uh, my good friend Ralu is going to read Revelation 2, 12 through 17, and this is the church of Pergamum. To the church of Pergamum, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught, taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon in war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Thank you. You can be seated. So Pergamum is this massively important city in Asia Minor. It's actually this cultural hotbed because, just a little history for you, uh, 5th century BC, Babylonian is a superpower. Okay, but then Persia comes to power and they overthrow Babylon. And now the Babylonian magicians and mystics, they seek refuge in the city of Pergamum. Okay, but then now as history continues, Rome comes to power. And they look at Pergamum and say, oh, they are religious in the city. Let this be the hotbed of worship of Greek mythology. So Pergamum has this massive, massive temple to Zeus. Well, then as Rome continues to expand, become more influential, more corrupt, they say, well, they already have Eastern religion. They have Western religion. Let's make this the center of imperial worship or worship of Caesar. And so you just have to imagine the city. They have three different strands of religion going on here. And it forces the whole city to be very tolerant of each other because it's so pluralistic. Because you have to realize in ancient Rome, Caesar, he doesn't really care who you worship, what you worship, as long as you also call him God. So yeah, practice Eastern magic, totally cool. Bow down to Zeus, probably a good idea. Just make sure you call Caesar God and it's okay. So you have all this going on in Pergamum. And at the same time, Pergamum has the second largest library in the ancient world. Over 200,000 documents. So we're talking crazy intelligent. So we have culturalistic or culturally pluralistic, intellectually superior. All this is going on. It's why Jesus says in Revelation 2.13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So Jesus is sympathizing with the church. He says, listen, I get it. Because you're the one people who aren't bowing down to Caesar. So you're not tolerated. You're instead persecuted. And I know it's like living among the devil, but I just want you to know, like, thank you. And because he gets culture, because he gets context, Jesus continues and praises him. He says, yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, 
even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So Antipas is most likely the church's pastor. And so Christ's encouragement tells us a lot about the state of the church. Pastor's getting jumped, pastor's getting killed, but you're still praising my name. But now Christ is going to turn, he's going to give a complaint. And his complaint is, but you've gotten lost. You've taken some wrong turns. And so the question that is going to drive this morning, what we need to answer is, how does a church get lost? How do we take wrong turns? Why? Because I don't think it's intentional, right? Nobody wakes up and purposely walks in the heresy. I don't think it's ignorance, right? The last 2,000 plus years, God has gifted us with some amazing Bible teachers to help us navigate. But yet churches still get lost, and so we need to ask, how? Because if we don't, I can promise you it's only a matter of time until Genesis gets lost. Until our culture starts making us take wrong turns. So let's get back to the text. Let's look at Pergamum, see how they get lost, and then we'll get a little self-reflective. So I'm in verse 15, or 14. He says, but I have a few things against you. Right? Despite your faithfulness in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the culture, you have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. All right, so here's what you have to remember. Pergamum has not abandoned their faith in Christ. Right? They just added to it. It'd be easier had they just said, we're over the Jesus thing, we're going to worship Zeus. But that's not what's going on. The insidious nature of the problem is they are praising Jesus, but then they're holding to different teachings as well. And so Jesus references two. He says, Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And so Balaam's a false prophet from the Old Testament, and the Nicolaitans, they're contemporary, but it's the same heresy. What's going on is they're praising Jesus, but then they're going and engaging with cultic prostitution, both men and women. And after that, they're making sacrifices to pagan gods. And so I'm assuming this is what a church service in Pergamum might look like. You show up, hear some good music, playing a cello today, sounded really good. Hear a good message, hopefully enjoying friendship through a group and a team. Maybe do a little communion, and then church dismisses. But after church dismisses, throughout the week, you go and you head out to the Eastern Temple, to the Western Temple, to the Imperial Temple. You hook up with a prostitute. You make a sacrifice, and you just keep going. What happened? How did the church get lost? Well, here's the answer. They started misapplying the gospel to their lifestyles. Right? Because the stream they're swimming in, like that current's strong. Right? Culturally, it's pluralistic. Intellectually, it's superior. So everything's pulling this church off center. And every time they get off center, they're taking a wrong turn in a wrong turn, in a wrong turn. And all of a sudden, this church is lost in a cornfield. And as I've been studying this text, as I've been praying through it and thinking through it, I have to be honest with you, my heart's just been breaking because I see so much of our church in Pergamum. And I know that's a big statement to make. But I just want to think about this for one second. You want to talk about cultural diversity? 
This is not an exhaustive list. This is just what I came up with. Boston, Greater Boston. We are Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, Islamic, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Agnostic, Atheist, Wicca. You can drive up to Salem and worship the devil at the satanic headquarters. <coughs> we are conservative, we are liberal, we're Republican, we're Democratic, we're Tea Party, we're Libertarian, pro-Trump, never Trump, gluten-free, vegan, dairy intolerant, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, transgender, Patriots fans, Minnesota Vikings fans, <laughs> some of us. White, black, yellow, red, purple, pink. Like we are the picture of pluralism. And not only that, like this is Boston. Harvard, baby. MIT, BU. We set the academic climate for the world. So we're intellectually superior. And so we have to think, if Pergamum could get pulled off because of culture, has culture pulled Genesis? Are there some places we're taking wrong turns? Are there places where we might be lost? Like if this letter were written to us, would Jesus have a similar complaint? I don't say this lightheartedly, but I think the answer is yes. And here's why. If even one of us starts taking wrong turns, we all get lost. Like we've been hammering this point for the last month. We do not live in a vacuum. You are not detached from the rest of the body. So how you think about the gospel and apply the gospel to your life, it is seen, felt, and heard by all of us. And so like, I need you to feel this this morning. My wrong turns and your wrong turns, they put all of us in cornfields. And if we don't recognize what these wrong turns are, where we're misapplying the gospel to our lives, it's only a matter of time. And so if we're going to be reflective, let's ask the question, okay, what are some wrong turns that we might be taking? What are some of our misapplications? I have two, and I think most other lostness can be traced back to these two. And so misapplication one, wrong turn number one, I would say it this way. We have gotten lost in laziness. And what I mean is, it is amazing how little so many of us care about trying to live like Christ. Like, we love Jesus, we love the gospel, we love grace, but somewhere along the way, we have so taken it for granted in any pursuit of holiness, any pursuit of righteousness, we simply don't really care about it. We've let culture tell us what to do. And it's the exact same problem in Pergamum. Because they're praising God. They're praising Jesus. Pastors getting killed. They're staying faithful. But yet, this cultural, pluralistic, intellectual thing is putting them in the false teachings. They've gotten lazy and they've gotten lost in it. I had this friend in college named Brian. And Brian's an okay guy. He came to this ministry that I was a part of come to church on Sunday, raise his hands when we'd sing, one of those things. Uh, Brian absolutely loved to party. Like every week he would go out, just get trashed. Sunday morning shows up, hears the gospel, repents, confesses, you know, says I'm not going to do this anymore, and next Friday rolls around and here Brian goes again. And so because Brian and I were good friends, like I said, he was in this ministry I was leading, 
I pulled Brian aside and started talking to him about it. And what Brian said to me revealed a lot. He said, listen, I love the gospel. I love grace. I love Jesus. But I really want to enjoy my college experience. Because it's only four years, right? Four years? Like that is lost in laziness. That is such a misapplication of grace. If you are not actively running towards Christ, you are passively slipping into laziness. If you are not actively pursuing holiness, you are passively slipping into laziness. Like, we don't need to over-spiritualize this. So for us, if you are not thinking twice about what you watch on Netflix, what you watch on TV, what type of movies you are entertained by, that's a wrong turn. If you don't care about what books you read, what lyrics you put in your head, if you don't care about what blogs you frequent, it's a wrong turn. If you don't care about what you do with your free time, where you spend your money, who you're hanging out with, what you're doing, if you don't care about what verbiage you use when you speak, what you're saying about other people, it's a wrong turn. Spiritual apathy, wrong turn. Spiritual complacency, wrong turn. And listen, I get it. It's easier to be like the church in Pergamum. It's easier to say, I love Jesus, but I also love culture too, and so I'm just going to engage with whatever I want to engage with. I get that. And listen, I'm speaking from a guy who struggles too because I just know this is me, and so I'm assuming this might be you too. It's easy to think, Jesus loves me, which means Jesus forgives me, and Jesus always welcomes me home. Well, goodness, why not just dip my feet in the water every now and then, right? Wrong. That's a misapplication of the gospel. That's a wrong turn. Because what Christ has called us to do is he set you apart to show other people him. And the assumption in scripture is that people will see Christ because we live like Christ. Because we look like Christ in how we interact with the world. That's the gospel call. That's the appropriate application of grace. Like if you need someone to say it for you, I'll say it. There has never been anyone on this planet who has come to see Christ, love Christ, and follow Christ because you're conversational about Game of Thrones. Doesn't happen. That's a misapplication of the gospel. That's a misapplication of freedom. And it's a massively wrong turn. And I know it seems like I'm making a big deal out about small things. Just a TV show, man. Just a movie, bro. Take a chill pill. Here's the thing. One wrong turn, it puts you on the wrong road, which leads to more wrong turns, which means more wrong turns, which means we're all lost. It's a big deal, you guys. We are getting lost in spiritual laziness, and it's a misapplication of the gospel. It is just feel kind of tense in here right now. I feel daggers coming at me. Well, if the first misapplication is we've gotten lost in laziness, I have a second application, and it's an equally wrong turn. God is not pleased with our performance, right? Because this is the ugly twin of spiritual laziness. Uh, we want to talk about how culture influences us. Everything in American culture can be summed up with two words, earn it. And we teach it to our kids young, right? You want dessert? Eat your vegetables, you got to earn it. 
You got to get good grades. Go earn them. You want that football scholarship? Man, you get in that weight room, you earn it. You want a better job? Promotion? Earn it. Nicer car? Bigger house? Earn it. And so naturally, we come to spiritual things, and we think about God's love, salvation? Earn it. And despite how many times we've talked about the free gift of grace, despite how often we talk about, you know, God's love is set on you, and it's not going to come off you if he's sought you, we still try to earn it. We are still trying to measure our own righteousness. We are still trying to clean ourselves up before we can come to church. Like, how many people have you ever asked or invited to church, and they said no, and the reason they gave it was because, yeah, your church isn't, like, I won't really be accepted. I'm not really a church person. Well, it's because they're trying to earn it. What has happened on this wrong turn is we've been reduced down to religious performers, trying to do enough to please God. But hear this. I don't care how perfect you think your performance is. God's not pleased and God's not that impressed. And it's a wrong turn to think so. And here's what breaks my heart. The people who I interact with who are most discouraged in their walk, who feel the most guilt, feel the most shame, feel the most condemnation, the people who find it hardest to enjoy a fruitful life in prayer or a fruitful life in the word, the people I interact with who are most self-righteous, who try to shove their morals down your throat, try to judge you based off what they do and what they don't do, these are the people who are trying to please God. And it's a wrong turn. So some of us, we just need to marinate in this. God is not more or less pleased based off of what you do. God is pleased with you because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the application of it. And so anytime you feel this need to make God happier, it's a wrong turn. Anytime you think God is disappointed in you, it's a wrong turn. Maybe you're like me, and anytime you think God's doing nothing but tolerating you, that's a wrong turn. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you to pursue holiness. He doesn't want you. Like, he wants those things for you. What I'm saying, if you think what you do changes his affection toward you, it's a wrong turn. Like, the pivotal moment in my life is when I was told God does not love you because of and God does not love you in spite of. He just loves you, period. And it's a wrong turn to think he's pleased with your performance. What wrong turns has culture caused us to make? Well, I think one is we've gotten lost in laziness, spiritually lazy. But the flip side is I think we've also think we think way too highly of ourselves. And we think that God is pleased with our performance. And both are massively wrong turns that lead us both to cornfields. And why is this so serious? Like, why does this feel so heavy? It's because if you've been zoning out because you're tired from the Sox team, I need you back with me for this because it's the only time in Scripture Jesus is described this way. Because this is what he's talking about in verse 12 and in verse 16. They say, the words of him who has the two-edged two sword, 
And in verse 16, he says, I'll come to you soon and wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. The picture that's being painted is Jesus swinging his sword against his own church, against his own bride, because later revelation, this is the same sword that Jesus levies justice against the rest of the wicked world. And Jesus says, you keep taking wrong turns, you keep wandering into the cornfield, that sword's going to be swung at you. It's a serious deal that we recognize wrong turns and that we then reverse. The question, of course, is how? Like, if that's where we're at, if those are the wrong turns that we're susceptible to make, how do we get back on track? Uh, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I don't want to say more than what the text says as well. So, verse 16, Jesus says, repent. When you take wrong turns, man, the grace offered is just repent. So maybe this morning, if you were just lazy towards spiritual things, Man, there's a moment where you just need to hear, repent, and say, I need to take this a little more seriously. Because I recognize that my spiritual laziness puts all of us in the cornfield. And, and like, I'm not asking that you become a saint or a monk. I'm saying take one step towards Christ. Like, join a team, join a group, get a Bible reading plan. Like, it's just these small things where we start walking towards Christ, where we start reversing and we get back on the highway. But it just starts by recognizing and saying, you know what? Like, I, I'm not being all that God's called me to be, and so I need to repent. But for the other person, repentance looks a little different, and this is a little harder for us. But we need to say, I'm just going to embrace and rest in who Christ has called me to be. Like, I'm going to let go of this performance thing. Anytime I feel guilty, anytime I feel ashamed, anytime I feel condemned, no. Christ is enough. It's Christ's work saving. My work doesn't save me. Anytime you feel self-righteous, anytime you feel like you're impatient with people, no, no, no. Christ was really patient with me. Like, I need to repent of this. I need to get back on track. I need to reverse. But the call from Christ is repent or the sword's coming. And I, I know in a church like this, I know with all the people I'm looking at right now, that there are some here today who do not know Jesus Christ. I'm genuinely glad you're here. Uh, there's no place I would rather want you to be, uh, but I need you to hear this. Uh, you are lost in the exact same cornfields we're lost in. We just use different language. But if you're not following Christ, I'm guessing you're living for yourself. You're saying, I'm going to maximize my pleasure, my happiness, gratify all my desires. It's going to be all about me. And then in your most honest moment when you lie on the pillow, I think you know it's not enough. I think you know you feel empty. And the reason for that, you were not created to be spiritually lazy. You were created to go after God. And so his call to you is the same as it is to us, Repent. And I know some of you here who don't follow Jesus, you spent your whole life just trying to earn it. Better job, better vacations, be a better spouse, have better this, have a better that. And you're just trying to please everybody around you. And I know when you put your head on the pillow at night, you are absolutely exhausted. You are burnt out because you know it's never enough. 
And I know that you think there has to be something more that I can't find. Otherwise, I would have earned it by now. Well, for you, it's the same message. Yeah, just repent. Like, that's a cornfield of performance. And the amazing thing about Christ, the amazing thing about the gospel, is how Christ ends the letter in verse 17. He says, to the one who conquers, to one who recognizes he's taken a wrong turn, to the one who reverses, to the one who repents, to the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name on it. He says, you see this wrong turn? You reverse? He says, you have eternal life with me. He's playing off Old Testament imagery here. And it's a picture of a heavenly feast with Christ forever. Like, if you're in the cornfield, when you get back on the highway, the highway is driving you home. And home is living in the freedom of who Christ is and having an eternal feast with him. Like, that's it. That's for all of us. I don't want to misapply the gospel in my life. I don't want you to misapply the gospel in your life. I don't want to take wrong turns. I don't want you to take wrong turns. Like, I want all of us on this highway heading home to eternity with Christ. Because it's a heavenly feast. If you're feeling like you've taken a wrong turn, you know, the gospel is the same. It is in faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. Meaning you don't have to perform for anybody. And it's dying to self and following Christ. Meaning I'm going to run as fast as I can after that. And I'm going to embrace the freedom that he holds on to me with. And when I'm on that highway, I know where I'm going. I'm going to an eternal feast with Christ. That is the gospel. We don't need to add to that. That is sufficient. It's been sufficient for the last 2,000 years that this church has been built. It's going to be sufficient until Christ comes back to bring us all home. You've taken a wrong turn this morning. Let's repent. Let's reverse. Let's get on that highway and let's enjoy the gospel in its purity. Let's pray.